Welcome to uh, week one of a brand new series called The Devil Wears. And I, I want you to know, you might be thinking about this all week. I, I just want you to know, uh, the devil does not wear Prada or, um, or Nike uh, or Coach. I, I mean, if, any, if we had to pin something down, the devil would probably wear Chevy, <laughs> I think. It's your first week back, Martin, after a while I had to had to get that dig in there. Um, look, if you've come to real life in the last uh, three weeks, uh, my name's Corey. I'm the actual pastor here uh, at real life. Uh, for the first time, I think I've been preaching for 26, 27 years, something like that. Um, and, and for the first time in that amount of time, I, I took three weeks off in a row. I don't think I've ever done that before. Um, and just so you know, it was really good for me. <laughs> really good for me. I, I'm actually uh, excited. I've been excited this week to be back and to be sharing um, with you and, and writing sermons. And I, and I don't know, I mean, sometimes you think preachers, like, oh, pastors is close to God all the time. And it's just great. No, sometimes it just stinks. Uh, and having to come up with a message every single Sunday, so, Sunday sometimes is, is uh, a, a little rough. And so it was really great for me. In, in fact, it was, it was so great. Uh, last weekend, you know, a lot of our ladies were off at um, women's retreat. And uh, my wife goes all the time. My daughter goes, two ones that help us take care of Trent. And so when they are all gone, like it's all on me. And so uh, several times last weekend, I started to have these moments of panic, like, oh no, how am I gonna take care of Trent and get him? And I gotta be at church early and I gotta get the message done. I got all, and then I was like, oh, I don't have to preach. It was wonderful. I, like, I, I might have to make this a regular thing every September. This is amazing. Uh, so it was good for me. I, I think it was good for Terry, uh, having the opportunity after many years of, of being kind of out of the pulpit every week, getting to come and share with you consistently. I think it was good for him. I think it was probably good for you because you didn't have to hear me every single week. So I think it was good for you. And, and like he knows the, the Bible and, and he shares it well. And, and so I think that was good. I think it's going to be good for for all of us. Um, and uh, yeah, big, big shout out to, uh, to Terry for stepping in. And can I, okay, you can clap. Maybe he's watching online. I, can I tell you just a little bit of a, a secret? Um, I, I'm secretly trying to convince him to make this his church. So if you see him out, you just tell him, when are we going to see you next time? Whatever, you just plant those little seeds. We'll see We'll see what we can do. Uh, so if, if you are new to real life, you, you might not know this about me. If you've been coming for years, you probably know this. Every October, Halloween month, I try to preach a series of messages that are a little more um, kind of uh, ethereal. Um, and, and what I mean by that is kind of a little more... Doo -doo 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 -doo. A little more out there, right? And so we, um, we talk about spiritual warfare sometimes. We talk about uh, angels and demons. We talk about ghosts. We talk about like just supernaturally kind of stuff. Stuff that is a little more spiritual and a little less temporal. Um, and so typically in the month of October, that's what we do. And we're going to continue that um, process this month. Uh, and we're going to talk about evil. And I think when the church, when we as Christians get together and we talk about evil, we, 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 we want to do this thing where we don't want to just talk about evil 
as a thing. We want to talk about evil in terms of um, specific sin or in terms of Satan. That's what we want to do. We want to focus on those two things. And I think there's a reason for that. When, when we talk about evil and we want to talk about sin, if we get specific with sin, then that allows us to disengage when we're not talking about my specific sin. So the more specific we get about sin when we're having a conversation with somebody, the easier it is for us to go, we're not talking about me because I don't deal with that sin. And I think the flip side of that is when we talk about specific sin in the church, we're not talking about your specific sin. Then you get to look around at somebody else and go, I can't believe that they give in to that sin. Like their preferred sin is not my preferred sin. And so somehow we're able to kind of elevate ourselves in those moments while putting other people down. And, and I don't want to do that. The other thing that we tend to do is we, is we tend to talk more about um, Satan when we talk about evil. We talk about evil, we want to about, talk about Satan. Because I don't know if you know this about humanity. We need a bad guy. The best movies are the movies where there's a bad guy and in the end, he loses to the good guy. And we connect with that and we like that and we want to see that. I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I, I like like the Marvel, like the comic book, Batman, whatever movies. And so um, I, I was really excited when uh, the newest Batman movies came out. And uh, The Dark Knight, that one with, uh, what's his name? The guy that played Jesus, right? I think that was the same guy. Uh, and so um, I really like those. But, but the, the one that came out, I don't remember, the Dark Knight Rises, I don't remember which one it was. It was the one with the Joker, the Joker character. Uh, the, the guy who killed himself after he filmed that, right? That guy? I, I have seen that movie one time. I went to the movie theater and I watched it and I walked out thinking, I will never watch that movie again. Because it was one of those movies where there was a bad guy who was bad just to be bad. Was, he was evil just to be evil. There, there was nothing, like, you didn't get this story where, oh, he had a bad life and a child and he led him to this. And so he's kind of, he's kind of, like, there was nothing redeeming about, he just was evil. And I was just like, I don't like that at all. Uh, I don't go see scary movies. Like, I don't, I don't like to watch cop shows on, on TV. Like, I see enough bad stuff. I hear enough bad stuff in the world. I want to see it. If I go to the movie, I want to laugh or uh, just gratuitous violence. One of those two things. It's just really good, um, really good for me. So we want to we talk about, like, sin specific. We talk about evil because then we can kind of disengage. Or we want to talk about Satan because then, then we got a bad guy that we can point to. And we go, well, I didn't do it. It was Satan. Satan made me do it. And he's the bad guy and the boogeyman. And so we're okay um, with that. The problem is, and the reason this message series is called The Devil Wears, is because um, evil and, and devil, it's, it's slippery. And it's different for everybody. And it crops up at different times and you never really know where it's gonna come up. Um, so I, I feel like I'm divulging a lot of things, personal things to you. So if you're new to real life, just, this is just how we roll here. Um, so I, I like, okay, I may have some trouble talking this morning. I, I brought a bottle, bottle of water up. I'm on some pretty high powered antibiotics for an infection. And, um, and, uh, and it makes me feel like I've got dry, cookie cracker crumbs in the back of my throat all the time. This is no good. I do not like it. Don't recommend it. I think this is the last day of the antibiotics and I should be good. I'm not contagious or anything. It's inside. But uh, the doctor's just like, you got to do this. We're going to treat you with this. It's, it's, it's fine. Uh, 
Um, too much information? I don't know. I didn't tell you where it was, so it's good. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell. Uh, okay. The, the other thing is the, the, devil wear, the devil wears different stuff all the time, depending on where we're at. And this week, for me, the devil is wearing chairs for worship. So um, when we ordered chairs from this company in Gainesville, Texas, uh, we were told, um, we had to make a large deposit, and we were told 12 to 16 weeks for delivery on your, on your chairs. Okay, that's a long time, but we can do it. We can hold in. It's okay. And we'll just make us appreciate the chairs that much more at the end of the time. So about week 12, I got an email from the company after 12 weeks of radio silence from there, nothing from them. At 12 weeks, I get an email that says, your order is progressing. <gasps> and so I got up on Sunday morning, a couple weeks, uh, last couple weeks, and I've said, hey, our order is progressing. Our chairs are going to be here. They told us 12 to 16 weeks, and it's almost 16 weeks. And I'm excited. We're going to have chairs in a few uh, weeks, and they're going to be comfortable, and they're going to be nice, and it's going to be great. Um, and then I got to thinking last Sunday after I shared that with you for the second time, I got to thinking, I wonder when the chairs are actually going to be here. Surely they've been doing this for a long time. They know when the chairs are going to be here. And so I emailed them and I had to email them twice uh, to get somebody to respond to me. And the second time I was like, hey, somebody needs to respond to me. Like, you need to tell me what's going on. And so I got this email. Hey, Mr. Landreth, thank you so much uh, for reaching out and for your email. I just want to let you know that your chairs are progressing through our system, and they're going to be ready mid-December. Oh. <laughs> what? I, look, you, you may not know this. I am, not, I don't get angry, really. I mean, I get upset, I get frustrated. Usually it's with myself. I don't yell, I don't scream, I don't cuss at people, I don't call them names. Never have done that, it's just not my thing. So I will just tell you, I sent the strongly, most strongly worded letter, letter I have ever sent in my life to Chairs for Worship. I, I, my first sentence was, I am so disappointed. Is that not a dad word to use? I am so disappointed. And then for about three paragraphs, I just listed, I am so disappointed because, no, 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 no. I am so disappointed because, no, 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 I'm just getting more and more. We were in Overland Park. We had Trent's booth set up. We were selling stuff at the Kansas Speech and Hearing Convention. And these people came up and they're working with Andrea. And I'm just sitting there like, mm, I can't believe this. <laughs> and they were like being all nice and everything. And I said, I am sending a mean email. <laughs> I got, I got to the end of the, of the email and, and, I, and I just was like, I, I can't believe this. I'm like, I'm sorry. I know this probably is difficult to read, but I just have to tell you. Uh, and I, that was the end, ex except I added about four more paragraphs to it <laughs> before I got to, it was, a, it was a big, listen, you do not want to get that kind of email from me. It was not, was not pleasant. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll put it out on the website. You could all read. Um, I, uh, I, I sent that email on um, Thursday, like 30 minutes after I got it. I responded to that email. Uh, Friday at 4.30 in the afternoon, I got a reply. Doesn't that just irk you? You waited until the last moment of the last day of the week to email me so that you wouldn't have to hear it about it until Monday. That's just, come on. 
Uh, and so I, I just, I, I said to them, look, I, I, cannot, I cannot believe, I have gotten up in front of my church and told them, we will have new chairs in a few weeks. What, like, what are you going to do? And what can we do? Because really we can't, we have paid them a lot of money to get these chairs. They are in production. We're, we're over a log. We're over something. They're going to be over my knee in a minute. <clears throat> um, so I just want you to know, I'm, I'm not happy. I have no idea. I have no control. I don't, I know, I understand. I told them, I understand you might have supply chain issues and material issues and whatever. You got a lot of things to put together and a lot of things going on. I understand that. Why did you not email me on week two and tell me the chairs are not going to be here in 12 to 16 weeks? You knew all along and you didn't tell me. That makes me mad. Chairs for worship is the devil to me. They are where, and I'll tell you this, Satan is naked and laying across several of them and just going, nah, 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 nah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look. So, so evil, like Satan is slippery and he just gets like whatever, like things were going really well and he's just like, take this. Um, and so we got like, how, okay, how are we gonna uh, deal, deal with this? We're gonna look this month at um, evil and sin, but we're gonna look at it in much more um, broader terms. Um, because this is going to come up for each of us in different ways at different times. And Satan is going to pop his little ugly head in and evil is going to be there present with us always and trying to get us to fall victim um, to that sin and whatever it is, whatever he's got to do to get us to fall into that. But as we begin to look at evil and we begin to like, because we're going to look at like sin, we're going to look at Satan. As we begin um, to look at that, I, I think we need to know something. Unless we can begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Unless we begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Un unless we begin to feel the way God feels about us when we sin, we will forever be looking for something that we never lost. If we don't understand the way God sees us and the way God looks at us, we will always be trying to get someplace to see something, to be in a place that we never really lost. And so when we think about sin and we think about evil, we, we think immediately about, okay, Adam and Eve, they sinned today. God came down and he kicked them out of the garden and he put a flaming sword there. You said, never again, you can't come in here. And God's mad. And what do we have to do? Because of sin and evil in the world, we're separated from God and we got to scratch and claw our way back and we got to pray enough and we got to not sin enough. And then someday if we're lucky, God will let us into heaven because we've done enough good stuff and we've overcome enough sin and we can get back to God. And unless we see God the way he sees us, we will forever be scratching and clawing and try to earn something that we never actually lost. And it completely changes the way we understand evil and sin and the way Satan works in our lives when we understand the way God um, looks at us and talks to us. So in order to understand evil and understand sin, we have to go back to the beginning, to that first sin when Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden and where we get introduced to this person called um, Satan. And, and in the Hebrew, um, the word Satan re really is a transliteration. It means the Satan, and it, and it simply means the accuser. And we talk about Satan. When the Bible talks about Satan, it's talking about the accuser. Who is the accuser in, in this moment? And, and what, think about it this way. What does Satan do when he tempts us? He comes in and he says, you're not 
good enough. You, you can't avoid this. I know you want that candy bar. <laughs> I know you want that. He, like, he comes in and he accuses us. He says, you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as good as God says you are. You're just, you got to give in to this stuff. He's the accuser. He accuses us of these things. And, and where we get all, pretty much all our ideas of evil and Satan and sin is, is from the beginning, from the garden. From that story, everything that we understand about evil comes from that place at the beginning where, where sin happened and humanity was separated from God and, and God was angry with us because of the sin. So as we begin this series, I want to kind of set the stage. So when you open your Bible and you start reading uh, at the very beginning, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning... And while Genesis 1 and, and 2 and 3, what Genesis tells us about the beginning, it wasn't written in the beginning. And I think a lot of times we open our Bibles and we go to Genesis and we start reading, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and we picture in our mind kind of God sitting down at the table going, okay, let me tell you what happened in the beginning. I did this, like real time is how we think of it. We think of the Bible as the kind of this linear thing that happened in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and we go all the way through. But that's, that's not how we got um, our Bible. The, the Bible, and specifically Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that were written by a guy named Moses while God spoke to him in the tent of meeting while the Israelites and Moses wandered in the desert for 40 years. So, so God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt and they're wandering in the desert and scripture tells us that Moses would go into this tent that was set out separate from the camp and the pillar of fire and cloud that was leading the Israelites uh, day and night would come and it would rest over that tent. And we're told in scripture that Moses is the only one that God spoke to like a person speaks to somebody else face to face. And I think when Moses went into the tent of meeting, God was talking to him and he's like, okay, here's the deal. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. And, and so um, we, we have to understand the story of creation where it comes in the story of Israel because they are completely and, 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 and totally linked together. And so I want to help us understand what was going on with Israel so that we understand kind of why God tells the story of creation the way he tells it. Israel um, had, had gone down. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are thousands of years of, of history that happen from the beginning uh, until um, God liberates Israel and he, and he gives Moses what to say. He tells Moses what to say in the, in the desert. Thousands of years have happened. So we have Abraham, we have Isaac, and Jacob. They come after Noah and all those guys. And that's Israel's history and their lineage. But then Joseph, uh, Jacob and Joseph go into Egypt and remember, Joseph gets put in, he's second command in Egypt. He rules over everything. About 200 years, Israel enjoys this incredible relationship with Egypt. It's fantastic. They grow. They have lots of babies. There's all kinds of cool stuff that happen there. And then about 200 years in, a new pharaoh comes to power. Egypt is kind of overthrown. A new pharaoh comes to power. And the Bible tells us it was a pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. He didn't know the story. He didn't care about Joseph. And so what he said was, we've got a couple million Israelites people. They're not Egyptians. They're Israelite people. They're Hebrew people. And they live in the only area where people can come from to attack us. And so if we have an enemy come to attack us and Israel decides to join them, we are doomed. So what are we going to do? 
Uh, And so the Pharaoh started a campaign to convince everybody in Egypt that the Israelites weren't elevated people. Instead, they were less than people. They were subhuman people. And because they're subhuman people, we can enslave them. And for the next 250 years, Egypt brutally enslaved the people of of Israel. Um, And so God shows up. And through these 10 incredible um, displays of God's superiority, uh, specifically over the major gods of Egypt, if you did, like the plagues of God were specific to the gods of Egypt. Um, and so he shows his superiority over the gods and the religion of, of Egypt. He decimates the Egyptian army and the nation of, of Egypt. And then the Israelites, millions of Israelites and probably millions of Egyptians, they march out of Egypt and they go into the desert. And then what? Like, what do we do? What do we do now? We don't really know each other. We've been at odds with each other for a long time, but now we're thrown together out in the um, wilderness. We know almost nothing about this God who brought us out. We don't know why he brought us out. We don't know what he wants to do with us. We just know that we're out here in the, in the desert. And so I, I think what happens is God comes to Moses in the tent of meeting and, and, and he says, look, he just kind of sets Israel down. And he says, you need to know where you come from in order to know where I want to take you. You've got to know where you come from in order to know where I want to take you. And so then he says, in the beginning, I made the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and, and, and void. And I created, I spoke it into existence. All of these things it begins to tell Moses how all of this happened. And at every single stage of dirt and water creation that God makes in Genesis chapter one, at the end, he says, this is good. This is good. I like this. This is exactly the way I had pictured it in my mind. It's exactly the way I want it. This is good. And, and then at the end of chapter one, he begins to talk about humanity. Like he created all of these stuff, the birds and the, and the animals and the beasts and the trees, and the universe, all of this stuff. It's all good. But he's like, something's missing. And so he creates humanity. And he began with Adam and Eve. And, and, and he talks about in Genesis chapter one, chapter two, how he set apart Adam and Eve. Like you're different from everybody else. You're unique. You are to be my image bearers on the earth. And in fact, I'm gonna put you in charge of every other thing that I've created. That's a pretty big role, right? I'm Adam and Eve, I've created you. And look, there's all of these animals that are bigger and stronger than you, but I'm gonna make you superior to them. I'm gonna put you over there. Only you, Adam and Eve, are my image bearers in the world. You are to help me rule this earth that I have um, given you. And after he creates Adam and Eve, what does he do? He steps back and he looks at all of creation, Adam and Eve, he goes, it is very good. The Hebrew word is me'od, and it means muchness. All of God had, he said, it's very good. It's exactly the way I wanted it to be. And so we, again, think about this picture. Egypt has been slaves, or Israel's been slaves in Egypt for 250 years. They, they have been told that their worth as a people, as humans, is tied to their production. How many bricks you can make and how many babies you can make. That really was the thing. And when you can't make as many bricks and you can't make as many babies, your worth is zero to us. And so what do we do? We get rid of you because now you've become a drain on our resources. This is the way that Egypt treated 
Israel. Their sole purpose was tied to their ability to produce bricks and produce babies. And then you have God rescuing them powerfully out of Egypt, and he brings them out into the desert, and he says, this is what I need you to know. You are not trash, you're treasure. I created you with purpose and intent. I I did this uh, because I wanted to. You're not trash like Egypt has told you for 250 years. You're treasure. You are not slaves like you were in Egypt. You are special to me. I gave you a special place in creation. I set you apart from everything else that I did. You are not just property. You have a purpose, and it's bigger than you can imagine. This is what God is saying to them in the desert. He says, you are not beasts like everything else. You are better. You are not beasts like Israel treat, uh, like Egypt treated you. You are better. And, and this reality of the story becomes the most obvious and I think the most hidden theme of Genesis chapter one through three. God creates everything and he says it's very good. And then in chapter two, he zeroes in on Adam and, 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 he, and he creates Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathes life into him. It's the only creature that God does that with. And then it's just God and Adam and, and, and God shows Adam. He creates, he recreates in the garden every one of the animals that he created in the day of, days of six days of creation. And he creates the, um, the trees and all of these things in front of Adam. So Adam knows without a shadow of a doubt that God is the one who did this. And, and then what happens? God says, Adam, I want you to name all the animals. God's like, look, Adam, I love you. And I created you with purpose and passion, but dude, you gotta get, give me a break. Take a few years, name the animals, come back when you're done. That's kind of the feeling of the story that you get. It's like God was like, look, Adam, I gotta go teach the dolphins how to swim or they're gonna die. Uh, so you name the animals and then I'll come back and, and, and we could like, this is just, this is just busy work. But the story of Adam naming the animals, it, it wasn't just the, the, like the first duty of God's ARM. It was like there was purpose and passion. There was a reason that God had Adam do this. And, and here was the reason. Adam had to discover for himself that there was nobody else who completed him. He had to get to this place where he said, I've looked at every animal, every creature that exists on the planet, and I know that I am different. from. There was not a single other animal that I can connect with, that I have shared purpose and passion with, that can join me in this role that God has given me to rule over the, the, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. It's why Adam gets so excited when he sees Eve. It's not because she was naked. I mean, that's probably part of it. But the other part was, here's a person who's like me, and she shares the purpose and the passion that God has put within me. She's similar to me. We are unique among God's creation, all of these things that God has done. And so for the first time, Adam's like, I have this huge task that God has given me, and now I have somebody to share it with. And so Adam says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She was taken out of of man. She shall be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. They even sound the same because Adam recognized that together he and Eve were going to be able to do what God had called them to do, to rule over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, to be God's image bearers in the world and do the things that God wanted them to do. And as soon as Adam finds Eve, what happens? Here comes evil. And they face their first temptation. And this snake pops up in the story, and it's a talking snake. And let me just tell you, if a talking snake appears in any other book we're reading, we go, what in the world is going on here? I mean, unless it's Harry Potter. 
But every other book that we read, there's a talking snake. We go, this is weird. I don't understand what's going on. But because it's the Bible, oh, we have to go, oh, a talking snake. Well, isn't this interesting? There's like, no, that God put that in there for us to go, this doesn't make any sense. What is going on? Why is there a talking snake? I don't understand it. And it's because we don't understand it that we dig in the story to find out what it really means. And those, so this snake appears and he talks to Eve. He says, Eve, do you see this, the fruit from this tree? Looks good, doesn't it? I bet it tastes good. I'll bet it's good for you. And Eve looks at it and the Bible is very clear to say Eve looked at it and she saw that the fruit was good. It looked good. And she thought, oh, I'll bet this is good for me. I'll bet it tastes good. I'll bet it's good. I bet it nourishes me. And she desired it because it would give her wisdom. And so she wanted it. But there's something that the story does in Genesis uh, chapter uh, three. There's something that the story does that's very, very important. At no point do we mistake the snake for a human. The snake is obviously a beast. We are told in the story, the snake is a beast, the snake is a beast, the snake is a beast. We're supposed to understand that. The snake is not human, it's a beast. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we could, we could get into, but here I think is what the basic is of, of what the snake, what the serpent says uh, to Eve. He says, aren't you at your core just a beast? like us. Adam and Eve, there's nothing special about you. <laughs> there's nothing special about you. You're not unique. You're not set apart. God doesn't have a special plan for you. You're just a beast like us. Don't you hear God like we do? Don't you have instinctive, elemental, intuitive drives within you that cause you to do the things that you do? Look at this fruit. It's good. Aren't you hungry, Eve? You should take some of this and eat it because after all, you're just a beast. The story of the snake is the story of Egypt. The snake is saying exactly what Egypt said to Israel, to humanity. You're nothing more than a beast. You are driven by these instinctive and elemental ideas. You're really just a slave <laughs> to your desires and passions like every other beast. Are you Adam and Eve? Are you humanity? Are you really that much different from all of God's other creations? And the answer we get from God is absolutely yes. Humanity, you are different from every other uh, animal, every other thing that God created. Because every beast of the field, every bird of the air has one solitary purpose and, and drive. If you're a March Madness person, you have heard this before. Every beast of the field has one thing that they're thinking of, survive and advance, survive and advance. When a beast gets up in the morning, they don't think about, oh, I wonder what I'm gonna accomplish today. They think I've got to eat and I've got to procreate. I've got to survive and I've got to advance. I've got to advance the species and I've got to keep myself alive. And if I'm a prey, I got, if I'm a prey, I've got to stay away from the predator. I've got to avoid the predator. That's how I'm going to survive. And then I've got to find me a girl and we've got to make more because I've got to keep, I've got to advance the species. And if you're a predator, you're just, all you're doing is looking for prey. I've got to eat, I've got to eat, I've got to eat. And, and, then, and then I've got to mate. I've got to eat and I've got to mate. That's all you're thinking about because all you want to do is survive and advance. Survive and advance. Um, and so every beast is like, look, eat as much as you can whenever you can because you don't know where you're going to eat again. And if you have a sexual urge, fulfill it because you don't know where you get to get that chance again. And if you have to defecate, it doesn't matter who's around, you just do it because you're a beast. And if you feel the urge, you feel the need, you just do it. That's what beasts do. Uh, no beast has ever gone to the watering hole 
and gotten a shot of themselves in the water and going, oh, I need to lose some weight. <laughs> I think I'm going to skip lunch today. <laughs> no beast has ever said that. No beast, has ever, no beast has ever said, oh, you have a headache tonight? Here, take a couple aspirin. I'll come see you tomorrow. No beast has ever said that. All a beast wants to do is survive and advance. And so when God speaks to beasts, he doesn't do it verbally. He does it internally. When God created the animals and the trees and everything else, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Survive and advance. Survive and advance. That was his directive to every other thing outside of you and I. All a beast's knowledge of God comes from the purpose and drives that he created them with. But that's not how God speaks to us. And you and I do have desires, don't we? We have passions that well up with inside of us. And we see someone go, ooh, I want that. We have that inside of us. God placed those things in there. But God doesn't just speak to us internally. He speaks to us externally. He speaks to us verbally and he speaks through his word. And he tells us how he wants us to behave. And he demonstrated it through his son, uh, Jesus, how we're to channel and direct the passions that come with inside of us for our best good. And we're different from beasts. We're not to be driven by the things that are from in here. We're to be driven by what God says. We take the passions and the desires we have and we channel them. When we talk about evil, we talk about sin, we have to start with these two fundamental truths. Number one, you are not a beast. You are better. I grew up, uh, I was born in 71. I grew up in the, in the 80s. I grew up with Calgon, take me away. And I got to see the beginning of you deserve this. And, and what were we told growing up? If you're an 80s, 90s child, what were we told growing up? If you were a man, you were told this. You cannot control your sexual urges. You are just a beast. Monogamy is a myth. Cannot happen. That's what we see in the animal kingdom. You are just beasts. Why not just give in to the passions and the desires you have like every other beast because that's all you are. And it doesn't matter if it's Satan saying it or Egypt saying it or the media is saying it. That's what they're saying. You are just a beast. And God says, no, you are not a beast. You are better. And we have strong desires and passions within us. But unlike a beast, we are also image bearers of God. And we're supposed to rule over our, our passions and desires instead of being ruled by them. But here's the other thing we learned from the beginning story, that even when we do fail and fall and we sin and we give in to those passions and desires, God still sees us as good. God still sees you as good. Adam and Eve, they give in to the desire. They act like beasts. They act like animals instead of image bearers. And they eat the fruit. And how does God respond to them? We gotta to go to Genesis chapter three and we look at the end to find out. And we find out this, God did not come to find Adam and Eve after they had sinned. He did not come to find them in anger because they had sinned. He came to Adam and Eve exactly like he had before. Did you catch that? When God shows up at the end of chapter three in Genesis and he's asking for Adam and, and, and Eve, he's like, where, where are you? Guess what? God showed up on Friday just the way he did on Saturday. Zero changed in the way God connected to and wanted to talk with humanity. 
There's two Hebrew words for uh, the word we have, where. Where where are you? When God says, where are you? The first um, Hebrew word, where, means where are you? I don't know where you're at. I've lost my keys. I don't know where they're at. Somebody has taken them. I have no idea. I don't even know where to look. The second Hebrew word for where is 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 the word that is like, when I came in from work yesterday, I hung my keys on the rack where I hang them every single day when I come in. And when I got up the next day and I went to get my keys off the rack where I put them, they were not there. Where are they? And so God, when he comes down and he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? He's not saying, I've lost you. God, didn't, God, didn't, God knew exactly what had happened with the snake, and he knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. But he says, where are you? Because he's saying this. What he's saying is, Adam, why aren't you here next to me? Adam, we had an appointment. We're supposed to meet today, just like we met yesterday, and just like I hope we're going to meet tomorrow. We were going to meet. Where are you? Why aren't you here with me? God was not angry because they had sinned. He wasn't surprised that they weren't waiting for him like they had every other day. Even though they had sinned, God didn't come in anger. He came anyway. And even though there were consequences for their sin that started with the snake and then moved on, I want you to look at how God responds in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. Does that sound like a God who's angry and upset and mad? Does it sound like a God who said, you sinned, get out. I don't want to see you again. God didn't show up on earth that day to punish Adam and Eve because they had sinned. He came to bring them a present. He said, I know that you are ashamed, not I'm here. I'm here just like I was yesterday and I'm going to come back tomorrow. But I know you feel differently about me, even though I don't feel differently about you. You are good and I love you. You are not a beast, even though you acted like a beast. And so he says, I'm going to give you this present that has no bearing on me. I don't need you to wear clothes, but you do. And so I'm going to give you this. God speaks to us as a child. As we begin to look at evil and sin this month, I wanna make sure that as we do, we understand these realities. You are not a beast. You do not have to give in to the desires and the passions that well up inside of you. You are not a beast, you are better. And God loves you even when you act like a beast. You are still his child, even when you do. God still responds to you in love. And so as we look at evil, as we begin to look, we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at Satan and, and Eve and Adam again a little more next week, I think. We're going to look at Cain and Abel. We're going to look at Noah. We're going to look at how sin creeped in, how evil creeped in with creation um, over the next several weeks. And um, look, I, I want you to just understand this. Everything that we do from here on out is going to be built on this. You are not a beast. You are good. Let's pray. God, um, this is an incredibly, incredibly difficult lesson for us to learn, and yet it is so incredibly important to who we are and to understanding our relationship to you. Over and over again, the, the world, Satan, evil, whatever kind of name you want to give it, has tried to convince us that we are just beasts like every other beast. 
we have to survive and advance. And if we have a feeling, we have a desire, we have a passion, we should just do it. Like God, like God, you must have put this desire within me. I have to just follow it because it's come from, like we blame you for the things that we, we do. But scripture is clear. We are not beasts. We are to rule over our desires and passions, not be ruled by them. And so God, help us to understand that. Help us this week as, 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 as evil begins to creep into our lives and we start thinking about doing something we know you wouldn't have us do. Help us just to remember, I am not a beast. I do not have to do this. And then God, secondly, help us to remember that when you look at us, you look at us and you say exactly what you said about Adam and Eve. You are good. I made you. I love you. I want to be with you and have a relationship with you. So even though we fail and even though we fall and even though we look like a beast sometimes, you are there with us. You love us. You carry us through. You want to be with us. So God, help us to remember that above all other things as we go through this series. In Jesus' name, amen.